You are listening to the Performers and Creators Lab podcast. The best artists really, I think, have both things going on. They can go on stage and have their head up and have this incredible aura and energy that the audience really feels, but still play their butt off and still be in the music. Welcome to the Performers and Creators Lab podcast. I'm your host, Holly Shaw, best-selling author, certified hypnotherapist, and creativity coach, helping you to find your edge. Right now is a time of the year where the veil between worlds is thin, where a bridge exists between light and dark, the spirit and the living between heaven and earth. It's a great time of the year to open to the possibility that these worlds, these dichotomous frameworks that we create for ourselves are not perhaps what they appear to be. My guest today, John Santos, definitely straddles both of many worlds. He's a seven-time Grammy-nominated percussionist. He was the San Francisco Jazz Resident Artistic Director from 2013 to 2014. He's considered one of the foremost exponents of Afro-Latin music in the world today. He's a widely respected writer, teacher, historian in the field, and was a member of the Latin Jazz Advisory Committee of the Smithsonian Institution. In fact, he just told me this. He's currently in production of a new album to be released through the Smithsonian. So it will be available. His recordings, his work will be available to humankind in perpetuity. John Santos is known for his innovative use of traditional forms and instruments in combination with contemporary music. He's known as a prolific performer, composer, teacher, writer, and his career has spanned four decades. John's performed with masters, such masters as Dizzy Gillespie, Tito Puente, so many names of masters that I don't even have time to tell you all of them in this episode. Suffice to say that John Santos really does straddle both worlds, the historical past and the contemporary now, tradition and innovation. And so, ah, I was so lucky to have a conversation with him and I found with just a little prompting, I was able to get him to talk about these things the sacred music and the commercial music industry, the constant and the chaos, the sacred and the profane, the dead and the living. It was so great. Here we go. None other than John Santos. When reading up on John Santos, I discovered that it was a near-death experience in 1978 that actually prompted him to make music his full-time profession. He was an apprentice electrician until he shocked himself while running conduit on a construction site. I was working on a 20-foot ladder with some live 
uh, electricity and I zapped myself and kicked the ladder out from under me and was hanging on to this conduit um, yelling and somebody heard me and came and set the ladder up and then I walked off the ladder walked off the job that was my last day but I, it wasn't that, that that's what convinced me to be to go into music oh, okay. I was already full-time into yeah. into music at that time but that was one of the greatest things actually quite a blessing for me to have done that because at the time I was living with my dad I had gone back to live with him and, and, and I was paying him very little, you know, a little bit, you know, a couple hundred dollars a, a month. And, and uh, I, I had like $40,000 in the bank when I, when I quit that job, which was a lot of money in 1977 yeah. for a 22-year-old. Yeah. And uh, that set my career in motion because it meant I didn't have to take all the BS gigs that everybody had to take. All the musicians have to take these little $50, $60 gigs because they need the money. And I wasn't in that situation. So that means yeah. I could study, I could practice, I could study, I could stay home, I could listen and transcribe stuff. And when I did a 40 or $50 gig, it was because I wanted to do that gig because it was going right. to be an experience for me. So I really helped me a lot to set things in motion and uh, also funded my first two productions, uh, you know, musical productions that I did, uh, recordings, that money funded those projects. And so it really set my career and kickstarted my career in a lot of ways. That's nice. Uh, I like to say that, you know, the artist is today's shaman. And I say that knowing that there are shamans in other cultures that are, you know, actual shamans, but only that in the United States, because we as a general culture have so often turned our back on the indigenous cultures that carried forth, like you said, the connection with nature, the connection to medicinal herbs, the connection to community, that the artist serves that purpose in this culture. We're the ones that are able to give or certain artists that choose that are able to give that transformational journey, that sort of emotional journey. So do you, do you think you're a, sh a shaman in that way? Well, you know, it, um, I, I never quite, you know, put it in, in, in those terms, but, 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 you know, I would say, yeah, you know, because that's in, in the traditions that, that um, inform the music that I play, that's exactly what the artists are, and the and and the so-called shamans, the the priests, the 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 mediums, the people who work in the sacred and the and the ritual realm. They're artists. They 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 sing, they dance, they know the ritual languages, they preserve these centuries-old traditions, and as as to movement and dance and language and and poetry and, and, and an oral tradition that's really powerful as well as other aspects like making like like artistic like making of ritual gowns and beaded work and you know art jewelry and, and you know things that are aesthetic as well and so they're definitely artists they're those 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 you know quote unquote shaman we use shaman to shaman to represent in general that those those type of folks mm -hmm. they they are artists for sure mm -hmm. and the art the work that the artist does is is totally related you know the mm -hmm. it's a big a big part of that spiritual tradition is the the part that we would look at consider artistic it's about about rhythm and melody and and uh, drums and the sounds of natural instruments you know natural yeah. um, acoustic instruments yeah. 
um, and so here I, you're 100 percent correct. Here it's it, you know the artist I think becomes even more uh, you know in, in, in this kind of um, conflictive you know kind of a non-friendly uh, atmosphere where 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 the art is just uh, commodified and it's all uh, industry and it's all commercialized. It's that much more important for the artists who understand the power of the art that they're able to express and to heal people, which is what the shaman does, yeah. with by by bringing people together and letting people, uh, you know, get away from that crazy mentality that that yeah. Western Western uh, society has kind of put upon us mm-hmm. of of just working yourself to death and being worried about money and being worried about things that are not really mm-hmm. important. And the the artists bring us back into touch with our past, with our ancestors, with with the reality, with nature, with breathing, with health, with holistic, organic things. And so it's a very good analogy, you know, the connection there. But now it goes one step further because the music that, for me, that uh, is at the core of what I do, um, largely is a drumming, Afro-Latin drumming tradition, Mm -hmm. and it's totally uh, born from sacred traditions. So in order to play certain types of drumming, I've had to go through certain types of rituals and initiations. Yeah, Congo, Congo, Yoruba, um, and they. And so you know, in in doing that, that's something that somebody might look at as being a shaman of of having to pass through these type of things and initiations and understanding. Um, the connection between that music and not only uh, what comes after the commercial and the um, the popular music the tradition that's born from that, but going the other direction, how that uh, music connects us to these incredible artists who were not thought of as artists necessarily, but who were who played this role in the community of documenting and honoring and for every birth and death and 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 ritual and rite of passage they were there playing these rhythms and playing these instruments and to be able to be part of that tradition it's part of a of an old line of of shamanism so to speak yeah and you're a part of it yeah i am i've I've had the opportunity to learn from some incredible folks who are part of these sacred music traditions and that's a big part of what what i do that's amazing so how do you feel like that's affected your performance or do you even see a difference like how much percentage are you a performer and how much percentage when you go out there are you like a music healer (laughs) you know i i i don't think about it too much but when you when you ask me about that I don't really consider myself to be a performer. You know, the idea of music as entertainment and performing for people, it really, it kind of smacks of minstrelsy. And, uh, you know, I, 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 it, it, that's not what the music is about at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so the music that is the deepest music is always the real folk traditions mm-hmm. in any culture. Uh, it's the stuff that is connected to the earth and to the sacred traditions. Mm-hmm. And that is not about performing at all. That's about 
you know, communing with a community, mm-hmm. and it's not really a performance for an audience because the audience is part of the ritual, part of the tradition. The, the, the audience sings and claps and makes a circle and is part of that yeah. uh, that function or that uh, ritual. So, you know, I, 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 that's kind of a fault in a way for me because I've never really been trained as a performer because I have a lot of experience on stage. I'm aware of certain things, but I have a lot of bad habits that performers are not supposed to do, you know, on stage. <laughs> like what? Just like not really, not really given too much attention to the audience, you know, like, like kind of, you know, not uh, making sure the audience sees you smiling and having a great time and connecting with the audience. And it's, right. it's kind of like more we kind of, when we're on stage playing, we're listening to each other and we're connecting to each other. We're trying to connect to channeling energy and spirit. And uh, so that happens more almost when you um, listen, when you kind of go into the music and we are communicating as musicians trying to raise the, the artistic expression to a certain level when you close your eyes and you bring all the, all of whatever you your experience and your history has you know in uh, and so it's more that and less um, you know looking out to see somebody you know in the audience and is winking or smiling and stuff which and then the performance aspect which you know on, on stage and, and and I love I go to performances and I'm very impressed by performers, so to speak. So there, there's a there's a place for that for sure. Mm-hmm. And when you see the thing is, there's a, there, there's a big uh, gap between the music and the rhythms and the, the spiritual side. And once you bring it on the stage, when you bring it on stage, um, the stage kind of kind of in a lot of a lot of times, especially in the Western kind of perspective. It requires it to be bigger. It requires the movement, you know. So the the movements the movements say uh, that are it, it part of ritual music that are that are very subtle, you know. Don't work on stage. On stage, it has to be more flamboyant, more that people in the back can see it, and it has to be something that's more impressive to look at, which is not you know where, where it was intended right, to go. Right, it comes from right here. And yeah, sometimes it just needs to stay right there. It's very subtle. Yeah. So you know, a lot of times people who are from that tradition, which I kind of consider myself more from there, is that we. It's hard for us to break out of that. Some for for a lot of people, it's hard to 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 to, to keep reminding yourself. You know, I have to. I have to really make this more demonstrative. You know, when I'm playing my drums, I have to really move my hands way up high. And it looks. It's very. If you do that, you get a rise out of the audience. But you know, it's not. It's not something that's kind of natural for me. Some players are real natural with that, and they can, they can do this performance, and they leave the audience just. You know, the audience loves it. And that's been a little bit of a disconnect for me. A little bit of a hard thing for me. As long as I've been performing. And I love communi- you know, communicating with the audience and getting the feedback from the audience, but I tend to drop the ball. And I look at videos always of myself playing. I'm like, I got my head down and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm making grimacing trying to play and I'm not really aware of, you know, like other players. And, other, and some players have, artists really, I think, have both things going on. They can go on stage and have their head up and have this incredible aura and energy that the audience really feels but still play their butt off and still be in the music it's what it's hard to do because usually that takes your mind and your spirit kind of out and then you don't connect on the other level so Mm -hmm. there there are a few you know every now and then you have these artists who Mm -hmm. can really do both Mm -hmm. and that's rare you know and I, i don't think i'm one of those people but i uh, i enjoy you know playing performing well, they bring you know, the stage. audience into it somehow they're they're able to use that as a piece of it 
I see what you're saying. Like it's uh, how to include them, but also you know stay true to what you're actually feeling and channeling that energy. Like you yeah. said, it's tricky. I think it is, as it a is. musician, you know, because you know, uh, the, the dancers. I like I love working with dancers because the dancers are able to really transmit that thing into a much mm-hmm. bigger visual thing mm-hmm. and the audience you know to capture the audience but for the musicians you know it's a little it's a it's a tricky proposition to to keep you know keep the connection between the musicians and what we're trying to do musically and trying to really be aware of that and at the same time be aware of what you look like to the audience It's a, it's a tricky thing, so I, and, and it's not it's not my forte really. But, and yet you make beautiful music that transports people. So I think you know we're all good there. Uh, <laughs> I think you're doing good. All the music that you've been listening to so far is from John Santos. This is from his album La Esperanza. Coming up next, we'll have more from John talking about trance, working with your ancestors, summoning the spirit, and so much more. Hey there, listener. Before you know it, 2019 will be here, and the new year is a great time to start a new habit or to break an old one. So if you're struggling with a habit or feeling blocked by old fears, then this hurts me because I don't want you to feel stuck or frustrated. I want you to experience ease and confidence in your life so you can make the creative work that's waiting for you and you can have these good, juicy, transcendent, magical moments on stage. And the truth is that sometimes willpower alone just doesn't work and you need to try something different. So the good news is that I'm accepting applications for new clients in 2019. As a hypnotherapist and a coach, I've helped hundreds of performing artists overcome creative blocks, negative self-doubt, performance anxiety, including Emmy award-winning and Grammy-nominated artists, SAG actors, and also just, you know, creative people who don't want to struggle with the same old issues anymore. So if you've already tried to do it alone, and you're looking for some help, then I want to urge you to go ahead and fill out a free application. It's free to apply. Go to the performersandcreatorslab.com website. And look, don't wait because I don't take a lot of clients. I'm not the Walmart of hypnotherapy. But if you are committed to making a change in 2019, then I would love to help you. So visit performersandcreatorslab.com and fill out an application for private coaching today. You are listening to the Performers and Creators Lab podcast with me, Holly Shaw. Call and leave us a voicemail at 415-870-7064. Again, that's 415-870-7064. And now we're back talking with musician, composer, historian, John Santos. So let's talk about what you're trying to do there. That's what you said, what we're trying to do there. I want to talk a little bit more about that. Like, how are you? How do you find that 
thing that you're tuning into and bringing down and through? You know, I don't think there's a formula for it. You know, for for me, it's it, I know, it's I just, just keep asking. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, but for me, it, it's um, it's it's just trying to be centered, be grounded, um, and I, it requires a little bit of of letting go, but a little bit of focus too. You know, both things. You know, we can't totally let go, and 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 it's related to, again to the sacred music tradition, like. Um, a drummer when you're drumming in the sacred music tradition you're playing trance music and so you have to you know depending on the part that you're playing usually you have to hold a part and you have to hold it there you got to sit with that for a long time and and that and it's part of a of a of a web a weave of rhythm that is designed very ingeniously to it has a really powerful effect when it's done correctly and everybody's holding their part and locked in and understands how the things work together and you lock that in and you breathe and it's got power it's got magic But the lead drummer is fortifying that, but the lead drummer is looking around because the, the intention of that music is to bring the presence of the divinity into the room. So the lead drummer is the one that really converses the, with the ancestors okay. and the one that improvises and the one that uh, the lead drummer is looking around the room to see where the spirit's coming, see who's getting the spirit. So when somebody starts to show by their movement or by their face, that, that they're starting to get the spirit, the lead drummer will direct certain phrases and certain things in more intensity mm-hmm. right to that person. As will the, the singer, the akpong, for example, in the uh, Yoruba tradition. They, they'll notice and, they, and they'll know what to sing and they'll go walk right up to the person and sing near their ear and, and it's, it's almost you know, uh, unavoidable that that person's going to become what I guess what the Westerners would call possessed, but mm-hmm. get spirit. And that's a that's an incredible thing. So, you know, the drummers have to play f- for trance music, and you have to you get into a trance almost, but you can't go totally into a trance because you have to be aware so that when the lead drummer calls a change in the rhythm, you got to hear it instantly and go. So you have to be present, but you you get into a zone where where because you have to play maybe a difficult rhythm or a fast rhythm for a long period of time, steady in terms of time and sound. And that requires you almost uh, to go into a state, you know, you get That's into true. a zone in order to to be comfortable and breathe and, and be comfortable while you're playing there so that you don't, you know, tense up and, and tire out. Yeah. So you have to be present. You have to have one, you know, foot in the trance in a way and one one foot very aware and very present so that when the time changes or the there's a stop or the singer or the lead drummer call something, that you recognize it and you go with it. And, and the, all those things uh, uh, inform the, the popular music. They're the same rhythms that we use, born from those rhythms, we use those in jazz and in contemporary music, in salsa and Latin jazz. Yeah. We draw upon all of that stuff. So that's that's what's going on, like kind of on, yeah. on, on stage. We're trying to, you know, have that magic there, mm-hmm. that, that power which the rhythm... It's it's mostly about rhythm, but it not is. not not totally. It's a lot. But it's, more, it's a lot to do with rhythm, and it requires you know uh, 
it requires um, a, a, a knowledge of what's going on and your attention because it's a lot of things to listen to and to listen for to know yeah. if things are not right or, or where you got to go or what what has to fit what change you have to do or where you can make uh, improvisation and where you're not supposed to yeah. and all, for all that you have to be kind of a really aware like a cat you know all the time of what's going on mm -hmm. around you yeah. at the same time if you're playing for an audience you do have to be aware of the audience what kind of audience is it? Is it kids? Is it people who know the tradition? Are they musicians? Are they not? And that also will affect what you play and what you're trying to transmit and what you say in between the tunes and, you know, where you're trying to take it, what you're trying to leave the audience with. It sounds like you've experienced many transcendent moments. I mean, I feel like I'm in a trance just listening to you talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> um, have you ever had one that re like really stands out in your mind where you just like felt like everything locked into place and you all went even further? Is there, I don't know, maybe one that stands out in the time? There's really not because really it's happened so many times there's 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 a lot and, and depending again on the kind of music you're playing and who you're playing with that that of course is going to affect that but but there's not one that stands out for me you know um you know where that happens of course the most is in the sacred tradition so if you're playing sacred music at a ceremony it's all about that and that's that's what happens at those places and, and that's normal you know so that, that, for that to happen if you're on stage playing commercial music, you know, you emulate that, you go for that, you go for some of that, but it's certainly not the same and yeah. it doesn't happen in the same way. Yeah. But there are, okay. you know, there are definitely moments where you push yourself and you, your parameters, you know, as an individual and or as a group get pushed. And that's what we're always trying to, to, to work that and to, yeah. you know, go somewhere where we hadn't gone before. Right. Right? And don't you just feel like every trance is different? Like every, there's never, you never replicate the same place that you've been yeah. before. Yeah, that's true. I yeah. mean, that improvisation brings that a lot. Sure. And jazz is a lot about that. But, but the traditional music is about that. All these traditional forms, the improvisation part, especially on the part of the lead drummer, mm -hmm. is very intricate and just it's just as uh, I mean that's where jazz improvisation is kind of born in, in a lot of ways so um, it's just as complex as anything you'll hear in jazz or anywhere else uh, that improvisational part and so it's so it is always different I mean sometimes sometimes it's, it's there's a lot of formulas that that you as a listener or an audience member would never recognize but also there's an element of in the moment of what to play at the moment that the spirit comes into the room and then and how you're going to be inspired to respond to that and how they respond to you that's going to be remain to be seen you can't plan for that so that happens and what what happens is going to happen and, the, and those moments are you know those those are hair on the back of your neck standing up moments but that's what those that's what the ceremonial music is always about yeah 
So it's rare that that, that that doesn't happen in a ceremonial context if you're playing with people who know what's going on. Right, right, right. You know, this time of year with Halloween and many traditions, Halloween, um, you know, and not uh, there's just like and around November 1st, there's like the veil is very thin, I feel like. And so I want to talk about ancestors and and playing with them. Do you feel like when you play, you're playing with that you feel the presence of your ancestors? Most certainly. Yeah. My birthday is November 1st. <gasps> And so no. I, I, that, that's always a special time for me. And um, also I've had some very close, uh, my, my oldest brother and a person who was like my brother, my closest friend, both passed on that day, on November 1st. So I have a strong connection to them, individual, those individuals, on that day. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I learned how to play with my grandparents. I played, my first band I played in was my grandfather's band. And so all of those elders, I, I feel them with me all the time. You are listening to music from John Santos' album La Mar with Omar Sosa on piano. left this show a review on iTunes yet? Look, 2019 is quickly approaching, and if I'm going to keep this thing going, then I need your support. So if you love this show, if you like this show, even if you've just listened to this episode and you think, wow, this is really great. I love how she's doing the music with the interview and with the people she's interviewing, this interesting topics I can't find anywhere else. Yes! So please go to iTunes and rate, review, and why not? Go ahead and subscribe to the Performers and Critters Lab podcast with me, Holly Shaw, so that we can keep this wonderful show going into 2019. Thank you for your support. the first reaction to play it, it means to play a drum but mm -hmm. immediately comes to mind playing as a as a child because I have you know young children and I'm around kids a lot so uh, play is sacred you know because the children the children are the closest thing we have to to the ancestors are the children they come it's a cycle you know when you're older you pass back into the cycle and the children come out of that spirit world so oftentimes they intermingle and they, they they cross paths and the children are fresh from that spirit world of the ancestors when they come into the planet so children playing is one of the most sacred things going on uh, and then also one more thing is um, to play 
you know, we um, use that word in English to play, which uh, when it comes to um, drumming and, you know, perf uh, um, perf I, guess, so I guess playing in English, playing an instrument, um, the, uh, the Spanish word I like better, which is tocar, it means to touch, especially with drums. You know, drums, we tend to say play a drum or beat a drum. And those words are, don't come close to touch. You know, it's about a, a, a feel and a touch and what's transmitted through delicate, aware touch is uh, the aspect of, of, you know, tocando un instrumento. When you play, you touch the instrument. And there's more transmission of, of awareness and spirit in that way. Mm. Love it. Next word. Love. Love? Mm-hmm. Love. Well, uh, the first reaction for me with love is that that's what uh, fuels really all that we do. And our uh, traditions, musical and otherwise, uh, are totally connected, as we mentioned earlier, to resistance and to things that might be considered political that are, have to do with survival. But it's all from love, and as as um, militant and sometimes violent as we have to get in defending ourselves and our families for survival purposes, it's always based on love. However revolutionary or or extreme that it might seem, it's coming from a place of love. Community. Community for me, the first thing that I think of is is the Mission District because it's where I grew up, and we have we had a real community there, which is hanging on by a fingernail now because of the gentrification and the berserk kind of out of control capitalism that's taking place. So that community is one that nurtured me and when I feel part of that community and having gone to school there and played ball and played music and my parents having grown up there as well. Um, I have a real connection just walking down the street you know, of, of memories of, of uh, earliest memories. You know, my, my, my grandma lived there too and um, that community is connected with my family which is even a more intimate and older community for me is the one of my family because I have a, a large family, in particular the Puerto Rican side of my family, very large, a lot of cousins and uncles and aunts. And and it's all mission district based, which is my kind of more extended community where I went to school, where my mom went to school. And uh, so those, it's, it, it, there's a overlap there. It's, it's not distinct, you know, the, the family and the community where I grew up the friends, the schoolmates, all of that kind of is a little bit blurred and I, and I connected to the Mission District of San Francisco where I had to move away in 91 because of, uh, for economic reasons. Bridge. To be honest, you know, living in San Francisco, it's impossible to not think of the Golden Gate when you say that. But I, I, I don't think that's what you're, you're talking about. The, you know, bridge is an important term for, you know, all that we do is connected 
is related to bridging gaps, bridging gaps between communities, between um, black and brown communities, between um, rich and poor, uh, gaps, uh, uh, gaps in our, in our education, and where where the school system has failed or has been made to fail by by this kind of dumbing down that we've gone through over the past uh, several decades and the defunding of the arts and the defunding of music in the schools so we have to bridge those gaps of of ignorance you know ignorance on the part of the folks who would think that that's a good idea but also the ignorance the innocent ignorance of of kids who don't know you know they're ignorant of of certain legacies that are that are part of their legacy, that are part of their heritage and, and their birthright that have been ripped from them. And so uh, a lot of what we do is to try to bridge those gaps also and reconnect and, and give back to those kids what really is rightfully. So a couple of things we want to talk about is what you're excited about, right? You've got some concerts coming up. Jeez. Yoshi's uh, is, a, is a concert that's called The Many Moods of Latin Jazz, and it's my sextet, which consists nice. of some wonderful players here, um, uh, Dr. John Calloway on flute, uh, Charlie Girk on saxes, David Flores on, on drums, Saul Sierra on bass, and Marco Diaz on piano. Excellent Bay Area musicians. And uh, we have two very special guests. One is a gentleman from Mexico who is a composer, singer, songwriter, guitarist, multi-instrumentalist, amazing musician, great vocalist, Jose Roberto Hernandez, and the great Kenny Washington. So we're kind of showing, uh, we're connecting jazz and blues and Latin stuff from different countries to show, you know, the, a, a variety, a, a wide range of, of music that we would put under the heading of Latin jazz. Mm-hmm. So that's on um, the 30th, which I think is a Friday at Yoshi's in Oakland. It's awesome. just one one night. Yeah, we're looking forward yeah, to that. Yeah, one night. And then you mentioned a show with dancing, and mm-hmm. that sounds like a really big deal at, at Stanford. Yeah, it's at um, Bing Hall in, in in particular. It's not, it's not connected per se to the university but oh, okay. although although I think Stanford Presents is is the name of the organization but they kind of operate separately from the school but it's on campus okay. but it's Bing Concert Hall which is got to be one of the most incredible concert halls on the planet it's just it's new state of the art absolutely beautiful kind of a, a big you know rake like a Greek theater type of situation all you know wood and um, surround, you know, the audience is totally surrounding you. It's not just you playing for them in front of you. And then the stage has these incredible, you know, uh, formations that it can take, which we have to still decide on how we're going to formulate the stage because it moves up and down the, the floor. It could be a totally flat stage, if, say, if the symphony's playing, but for other types of presentations, they could lower certain parts, and we're going to, you know, be experimenting with that. Cool. But for that show... Um, that one, the theme there is called Asia el Amor, which means towards love, uh, the sacred road home. So it's meant to show a sacred uh, music traditions, mainly Afro-Cuban, and how they uh, have informed uh, con- contemporary expression uh, in, cu- in Cuban-related forms. So it would be Latin jazz and salsa in general. So that, again, was going to be 
my quintet in that case um, with a bunch of guests. We have um, uh, a lot of Af- people from the Afro-Cuban community here. And I, I hope I can remember all of them. All of them. Some of the, it's mostly elders, but not all. We have so, also some young folks who are uh, n- relatively newly arrived to the Bay Area, but great Afro-Cuban artists. So the, we have uh, on the musician side, Roberto Borrell, um, Orestes Vilato, Eric Barberia, Joel Mullins, um, also, not that's on the Afro-Cuban side, then we have two great Cuban dancers who are teachers in the Bay Area, Yismari Tejes and uh, Denmis Ben Savigny. And these are, these are dancers who really represent the best of, of a modern Cuban dance because they studied in the conservatory, but they also studied popular and folk. And so they dance, wow. you know, the traditional stuff, but they're also modern dancers. They both danced ballet and they've done all this stuff. Wow. So they're going to bring in a special thing with, with a couple of other dancers that they're going to bring in some of their people that they work with. And they, so they'll have that, we'll have that aspect, which I'm very excited about. And then we also have, um, we're going to present some danzones, which is a, originally a 19th century style of music that comes from Cuba that, fe- that features strings. And so we're going to have a couple of violinists, uh, Anthony Blea and Fernanda Bustamante. We're going to have also a great jazz and blues elder in the community, Noel Jukes on clarinet and sax. Um, I, I, I'm probably forgetting somebody. I, I, I forgive me for that, but uh, we just have a, a, a cast, a big cast there of folks, yeah. and it's, it, I'm very excited. It's been so great having you on the show. My pleasure, Holly. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So there you have it, the one and only John Santos. You can find the full musical credits from this show in the show notes, or you can visit performersandcreatorslab.com and check out this episode to see that. You could also visit John on the web at johnsantos.com. You can find all of his albums there for purchase, as well as tickets and instructions on how you can see some of his shows. So check him out, johnsantos.com. I'd like to thank my producers, Q4TA and Robert Tolino at the Voice America Network, and my creative think tank team, Erica Milligan, Hannah Romanowski, Melanie Myers, Dan Cantrell, and Tim Beal. And all the music that you heard in this episode was from John Santos, of course, but the title tracks are composed by composer Dan Cantrell. And thank you for listening to the Performers and Creators Lab podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss another episode. My name is Holly Shaw.